I'm Jason Bradford. I'm Asher Miller. And I'm Rob Dietz. Welcome to Crazy Town, where our sports cars rest comfortably in air-conditioned parking condos to make sure their Corinthian leather seats stay soft and supple. I like how you said that, <laughs> Corinthian. <laughs> nice. This is producer Melody Travers. In this season of Crazy Town, Jason, Asher, and Rob are exploring the watershed moments in history that have led humanity into the cascading crises we face in the 21st century. Today's episode is about air conditioning and how a seemingly benign technology was able to spawn so many unsustainable practices. The watershed moment took place in 1930. At the time, the estimated carbon dioxide concentration in the atmosphere was 307 parts per million, and the global human population was 2.1 billion. Okay, Jason, you're going to get to the real watershed moment from 1930 here in a minute. Can't wait. But I want to open up things with a bit of an appetizer for Mm. the main course. Think of this like a pre-watershed moment, Mm. all right? Mm. Okay, so let's go back 28 years earlier, back to the summer of 1902. It's Brooklyn, New York. It's a year. Yeah, yeah, one you remember fondly, right? Okay, so there's this printing company in Brooklyn, and it's responsible for putting out this popular humor magazine called Judge. I've never read it. But oh, I bet it was hysterical. Yeah. I'll go to the library. I'll try let's, to find let's it. Say, yeah, probably good. But but this company had a problem. See, it's summertime. Brooklyn can get pretty humid. And all this humidity starts warping the paper that they're mm. trying to print on. And so then their text starts getting misaligned. Oh, smudges. Yeah, it's, it's, oh. Not, it's not good. So they hire this, this young engineer, this guy named Willis Carrier, to come in and fix the problem. And he develops this invention. He's got this system that pumps air over metal coils that are filled with ammonia, which mm. is uh, you know, very, very cold when it's in liquid form. And if you think about this, this is basically the same thing that happens when, when clouds rise up mountainsides. There's ammonia? Yeah, there's, they rain <laughs> ammonia over the mountains. Okay. No, but as, as the cloud cools because it's going higher and higher up in the atmosphere, the moisture wants to come out of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get the moisture out of the air. It's called adiabatic cooling. Yeah, exactly. Kudos well, look to, at to you, you. Yeah. Jason. Yeah. Yeah. Pulling out the, uh, the PhD work, words. It's more of a cloud forest, you know. That's kind of what we're all about in cloud forest. Yeah. So, of course, he's doing this as a dehumidifier, but there's this side effect that the room is cooler because mm-hmm. he's blowing air over these really, really cold coils. And pretty soon, he forms a corporation called the Carrier Corporation. Maybe ah, you've heard of it. Yeah. One of the mm-hmm. largest air conditioning manufacturers in the world to this day and uh, plays a role in, in making that uh, the ubiquitous technology it is. But I think a different technical innovation maybe uh, has a more of a crazy town flair, let's say, than... Uh, than Carrier. You want to you tell us, fill us in yeah. on that one, Jason? Yeah, this character is Thomas Midgley, and he is a chemist. And so Thomas Midgley is going to the American Chemical Society meeting in 1930, and he makes quite the impression. And I'll get into that. But first, let's back it up. The refrigerant that the Carrier was using was called ammonia. We mentioned that. Yeah. 
and common in its day, but there were other things that you could use, like sulfur dioxide, methyl chloride. The problem was that all these refrigerants were highly flammable or toxic or both. Oh, that's a, that's a good combination. Yeah. So, right. you know, and things, there's leakage, right? And, and, and so you've got, you know, poisonous gases, flammable gases getting out. I mean, that's just a cost of business. Yeah. I don't see the problem. Well, I mean, good old General Motors, which owned Frigidaire, wanted to expand refrigeration in the households and businesses. But they didn't like the danger involved. So they were trying to find a safer alternative. And that's why they hired this chemist, uh, Thomas Midgley. So they hire him and they quickly are drawn to a class of, of chemicals, organic fluorides, based upon just characteristics in the scientific literature. Hmm. And within days, they had identified and synthesized dichloro, difluoro, Methane. I almost named my second child that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first one was going to be dichloro, and the the the, the second middle? one difluoro. No, no, it's first name, middle name, last ah, name. Okay. Methane. I was thinking about changing my last name to yeah. methane because I'm so full of you know. Okay, oh, go yeah. ahead. Sorry <laughs> to interrupt. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I needed to kind of catch my breath. Um, anyway, they're in a class of compounds called chlorofluorocarbons. You may have heard of or CFCs. Yeah. Okay, so this particular one is commercially known as Freon, uh-huh. which we've all probably heard of. Which would have been your free, child's nickname. I freebase it regularly. Yeah. Freon. Well, that's okay. now that you mentioned that, guess who invented freebasing of Freon? <laughs> Thomas Midgley. Midgley. Yes. Oh, so here's what he does in his, in his presentation in this scientific meeting. He lights a candle, so it's very romantic, and sets it <laughs> on the table in front of the audience. Oh. He pours some liquid Freon into a glass dish, that is at 18 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. This thing is, is cold, right? Yeah, that's, that's negative 28 centigrade for all our, oh, our European God, you're compatriots. Fast. You're fast. That's account. kind of you to, yeah. to do that conversion. Yeah. So, of course, at room temperature, this stuff starts boiling off. It's just, it's in the rim of the glass is turning white with frost. And Midgley puts his, his mug right over this glass. You mean his face or his he face. had another mug? <laughs> no, his face. And this is how he turned into a Batman villain, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he just inhales this, the, the cold steam. They can see the cold steam kind of going into him, which is this refrigerant. And then he exhales gently in front of the candle and extinguishes it. So he really did become a superhero. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. What, so, what was it? What was his uh, superhero name? Blower? No, it's Freon. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. So yeah, he's demonstrating it's safe, right? I'm inhaling this stuff, and it's not flammable, obviously, because I just I just breathe it out over a candle, right? So he tells his audience his refrigerant is quote non-explosive, and we believe Check. non-poisonous. Check. It has not harmed animals. <laughs> I have breathed quantities of it without lasting bad effects. When I took enough, it produced a sort of intoxication. The best way I can... <laughs> Rebasing, all right. <laughs> exactly. The best way I can describe this sensation is to say that it is deadening. Instead of exhilaration such as credited to alcohol, these fumes do not rouse a desire to sing or recite poetry. <laughs> the refrigerant still is in the experimental stage. But he makes a big impression. I, his presentation would have been better if he had also gotten drunk and then was reciting poetry while extinguishing candles. <laughs> um, but, you know, this guy did such a good job that he was immediately hired by uh, General Motors and DuPont 
as the vice president of this new company. It's a joint venture called Kinetic Chemicals. Hmm. And boom, they are cranking out within five years. Frigidaire and other manufacturers are using the chemicals Freon and outcompeting all the others on the market, which are more dangerous, et cetera, and selling millions of, of refrigerators nationally, and also then air conditioners. So these skyrocket. And by 1978, 17.6 million American homeowners had central air conditioning and 25.1 million owned room units, nearly all of which are using these, these, chem- these new chemicals, these CFCs. Yeah. So quickly, this basically took over. Not only did it replace you ammonia, know, the use yeah. of, of like ammonia and others, it, it created all these new products or helped create these new yeah, products. They're yeah, they're safe. They're relatively inexpensive. They get mass manufactured by these big corporations. And right. And so, dream baby. And we want to we focus, obviously, on air conditioning. That's, that's, the, that's the, the thing that we want to hone in on for, for this episode that we're doing here. And I think it's, it's worth pointing out just how remarkable of a transformation air conditioning. And we'll unpack this a little bit. But to give a sense, there was a, somebody named Robert Fishman in 1999. He surveyed a bunch of historians of urban and regional planning, right? Talking about sort of like the most important influences on the American city, right? The metropolis in in the, the second half of the 20th century. What were the biggest deals that happened? And, and AC made the top 10 list. Air conditioning made the top 10 list. Yeah. Which, if you think about it, really makes a lot of sense. Maybe something that people take for granted, but it really did transform how people were living. And where they could live. Yeah. Now, the original use, I think, of air conditioning was actually not in residential or commercial buildings where people were working. It was really for climate control manufacturing. And there's, a, I think, a historian, her name is Marsha Ackerman. She wrote a book called Cool Comfort America's Romance with Air Conditioning. And in that book, she wrote that before 1920, air conditioning was used almost entirely in factories, where its role was to produce not human comfort, but manufacturing consistency under the controlled conditions of temperature and humidity that were made possible by this new apparatus. It reminds me of what you talked about with Carrier, right? Yeah. Yeah. Every bolt of cloth, stick of chewing gum, or machine-rolled cigarette, thank God for that, was supposed yeah. to look and perform alike no matter what time of day or I, season or year it was made. Thank God. I used to be bummed when I'd buy a pack of cigarettes and I'd get one yeah. that didn't perform as well as the other. Yeah, you know? moldy paper because it was, you know. It actually is. If you think about it. Those cigarettes. <laughs> when I think of air conditioning, I think of obviously air conditioning in buildings where people are, right? Yeah. And I, and I hadn't really thought about the fact that, like, how much of an impact that would make on the manufacturing yeah, of things no, I, like that? I get that, it. I'm learning so much from this show. It's just <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, it's incredible what you can learn listening to this show. Yeah, unbelievable. Ah. The quality of cigarettes you can get nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, okay. So, so early on, this technology used for manufacturing, for product consistency, really helping with that. And then before the 1950s, it was really used a lot in luxury kind of a places. And, and, and so think, you know, it wasn't so much in these homes, but think about if you're a movie theater and it's one of the last places you'd want to be in the summer is in a movie theater. There's no windows. A thousand of your stinky, sweaty friends. Yeah. uh, Think about the humidity and heat of all the people packed in to watch a movie. So movie theaters, couldn't attract audiences until they installed these ACs, and then the summer blockbuster is able to be made. Yeah, that is weird. People always attribute summer blockbuster to Jaws and Steven Spielberg, but it's probably really uh, Carrier and Midgley that make that possible, right? Yeah. 
But even like when I was a kid, I, I remember on super hot day, there was nothing nicer than actually going to movie theater. It was awesome. Right? Yeah. Well, okay. So the, the technology is starting to spread into places like theaters, but something happened right around that time. Uh, basically, after World War II, we get into the 1950s. The costs really started coming down. They were figuring out how to make units a lot smaller, so the technology's maybe getting a little better. But also, on the demand side, ads start getting made to try to sell air conditioning to people who maybe never would have thought of, of having it before. And you guys are in for a treat. Oh. I found online on YouTube a, uh, a pretty cool ad for, haha, pretty cool ad, get it, uh, for, for AC. And I want to play just like a... a 20 25 second clip for you it's it's called the case of the hot weather blues (laughs) this was an unusual case unusual even though it was typical it involved a housewife on a hot humid day shopping in a nice cool store dropping in for a cool refresher Even the beauty parlor was cool. Ah, but when she got home... Okay. I feel for her, the poor thing. Well, yeah. I mean, let's talk about everything that's wrong with this ad, first of all. We got to have some fun here. I mean, it was an unusual case because it was typical or what, what did he say like the total that's just the style of the day that was just hilarious uh, and then he's got this dumb like housewife set up and i mean you guys even later on the business guy comes home it's so stereotypical of like sort of leave it to beaver white I suburbia leave, i love leave it to beaver yeah but <laughs> with this weird film noir kind of yeah, yeah. Feel clever, clever. Yeah, like clever. Sam clever. Somebody's going to get murdered in this right. thing? what's going to Well, you know, it's like... At uh, least they can keep the body cool. Of yes. course, for her, it's like going to the mall is the joy and coming home just sucks. Going to the yeah. mall, going to the grocery store, yeah. going to the hair, hair salon. Yeah. I mean, th- th- what else do women do? Come on. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so basically, this thing is setting up, you know, this trying to create this new demand for, for air conditioning. And I, I guess it worked really well. Not Maybe not this particular ad, but but the campaigns in general. And, and so you, you have the, the two sides. The manufacturing's getting better. And, uh, of course, American consumerism is jumping up and people want ACs. So well, yeah. it's not, you know, so, yeah, we've got the manufacturing areas. You've got the homes. You've also got then offices and, and, and retail businesses, as this ad implies. So some of these are kind of racist, actually, the ads, because the Carrier Corporation... Ah, uh, back to the carriers. Yes. They ran a series of full-page color ads in the Saturday Evening Post, and one of the ads shows a dark-skinned man sprawled on the ground with his face covered by a sombrero. <laughs> and the, it, here's what the ad says, quote, temperature 102, production zero. Mm. Why have most great inventions and advances in science and industry come from temperate zones? Because for centuries, tropical heat has robbed men of energy and ambition. There was no air conditioning, so they took siestas. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, God. I know this is so It's true. I mean, the the Romans, they they didn't get anything done. They got nothing. Right? Yeah. 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 Nothing just siesting is that a word? Uh, just siesting. Yeah, I, I'm kind of jealous because I, I 
I think we that that is uh, something we should adopt. I don't care, temperate, tropical, Arctic. Like we should have siestas. It's brilliant. I know, but of course, this is America. Well, siestas get in the way of productivity. Well, think Rob. about the time. This is where the managerial class. You know, they want people to be working for the man, eight to five, clock in, clock out. It's regimented. Of course, the whole siesta system was when people kind of were working for themselves and in their community and. You adapted to the moment, but we're we're far into industrialization and urbanization and scientific management by now, right? And we're also in the era of stereotypes and racism in ads. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, that's been around for a while. <laughs> well, okay, so we had this great acceleration, which kind of seems to be a theme of ours yeah. uh, among various topics, but with air conditioning, especially in 1960, 13% of homes in the US had AC. Okay. Mm -hmm. By 1980, that's just 20 years later, 55%. Mm. Talk about diffusion of a a technology. Yeah. Yeah. And today it's around 90%. In the US. In the US. Yeah. That is such a relief. I mean, (laughs) we're done. I mean, now... Development path has reached its pinnacle of climate control. I know. Everybody's so comfortable. We're cool. We're done. Yeah. It's Put done. a fork uh, in Yeah. T- sorry, guys. I mean, we don't do this show if we're not going to explore some of the, the downsides, some of the dark sides of stuff, right? Like- again? Again with the wet blanket? Yeah, sorry. You know, wet blankets were actually the original air conditioning. Yeah, that's a better use of technology. <laughs> right. No, I think we need to spend a little bit of time talking about the uh, the shoe dropping in terms of some of the consequences of us uh, going for this AC thing. Now, the most obvious one I think that people are familiar with is the hole in the ozone layer. That, that happened a long time ago, right? You got to remind us, probably. Yeah, let's go in the way, way, way back machine to yeah. 1977. It makes me feel old. I bet a lot of yeah. young people don't know this story at all. They might not. Yeah. So there's a young guy. He's 24 years old. His name's Jonathan Shanklin. Uh, he gets hired as a physicist for the British Antarctic Survey. And one of his main jobs was checking the data on the amount of UV light that's reaching the Earth. They had these machines, these ways of recording this, and they would check it on a consistent basis. And that provided a pretty good estimate of how much ozone there was in the atmosphere. So... His job was to sort of check on this data. Yeah. Let me interrupt for a minute here and let's talk about ozone for a sec because the ozone layer is the key for blocking a lot of the dangerous radiation that the sun would otherwise be bathing the earth in. And scientists say that without the ozone layer, complex life on earth is impossible because you just got radiation breaking down cells. Ozone is basically oxygen in, in in the triplet form. Yeah. So normally it's an O2 form, but now this is O3. So it, it's not a very stable molecule, but it does help block. Yeah. The, and of course, for the enviro nerds out there, ozone at ground level is actually kind of a bad thing. It's a, it's a smoggy. Yeah, it thing. smells weird. Yeah. But then in the upper atmosphere, it does this crucial job that we're all going to die if, if there's no ozone. Right. So maybe a little cause for concern if we find out that there's a problem. (laughs) And that's what happened to Jonathan. First of all, there's a big backlog of data, right? They didn't have spreadsheets that were calculating this stuff. No automatic data loggers. No, people were like writing shit on on paper. Probably on napkins, right? On toilet paper, I think it was. <laughs> right. and, uh, so he, you know, he had to collect all this stuff and he compiled all the data and then he was putting it in and 
sort of going back you know, a number of years, and he thought when he tabulated all this data that you'd get the same results as his boss had gotten from a decade before, last time they'd sort of been compiled both together. And then he was in for a big shock, because since the late 1970s, there'd been like a really dramatic decline, systematic decline in the ozone. By 1984, the ozone layer was only two-thirds as thick as it had been earlier, just in recent history. Let's think about this, though. This is some, like, tiny little Antarctic research group yeah. that may or may not have existed. Like, there's a, there's a potential parallel universe yeah, they didn't these people don't get funded. This. They don't bother doing this. Yeah, they're not, they're not collecting this data at all, right? Right. Thankfully, in that parallel universe, UV radiation is good for, for cells <laughs> and right. cell biology. Well, no, it's one of those things where I think if you have to apply quantum physics to this, if you don't observe it, it doesn't happen. Okay. okay. So the problem actually was that he observed this in the first oh, place. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I if, we did, if we weren't aware eyes. of it, there would have been no issue at so all. So you were yeah. basically saying, Jason, that Shanklin is a hero. But no, he's a villain. You're saying he's a villain. I'm, I'm saying he's a villain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, in truth is, you know, when, when, when they compiled this and you looked at it, and he was like, holy shit, something is happening here. Researchers were able to pretty quickly conclude what the cause was, and that was the CFCs that were used in air conditioners and refrigerators and aerosol cans. I mean, I remember... Oh, my purse I, Oh, yeah, exactly, man. My, my right guard, oh. I would spray that oh, yeah. in my pit. You know, we don't oh. do that anymore. No, I don't do that anymore. I don't do um, anything. <laughs> and again, villain, this guy, if he didn't can do this we could still be you know yeah. spraying our pits with them. okay yeah. well look while we're on the subject of villains let's go back to uh your guy jason thomas midgley yeah. here for a sec yeah, the, the, the showman of the oh. american oh. chemical society so in the press uh he's got some pretty cool uh pretty cool monikers okay uh, he has been dubbed I'm going to give you guys several of these. He's been called the most dangerous man in the world. <laughs> okay. He's been called the scientist who almost That's destroyed awesome. the planet. Yeah. Please tell me he put that on his tombstone. I don't know. I would do that if it were him. Yeah. Oh, they get better. How about this one? The man who has had more impact on the atmosphere than any other <laughs> single organism in Earth history. <laughs> That's too I long for the I don't tombstone. think so. Yeah. There's a, the organisms are creating oxygen. That was a big deal. But single organism. A single organism. organism. Oh, a single. Yeah, okay. So, okay. But yeah. here, here's a kicker, you guys. See, he not only did Freon, right. but he also developed leaded gasoline. No. Are you <laughs> serious? Yeah. Okay. Oh. I'm starting to get it about oh. dangerous and, man. And, uh, as you noted in his demonstration, he invented huffing That's as right. well. So all those kids with their uh, their uh, okay. Do you think that there's a school named after him anywhere in the country? I think oh. we need to go on a campaign to make sure that they change that. Um, yeah, I imagine good. you can trace all the whipping cream cans that children are, are sucking their stuff out of. That's, I mean, that's I was Midgley's for, fault. At first, when you were reading this, I was like, hey, that's not fair. This dude's just a scientist geek who was given this task of finding an alternative, and he found a great one, right? Yeah. But then when you brought up the lead of gas, yeah. I'm like, okay. Well, well I mean, you, you realize we've talked about precautionary principle and the idea of, like, don't unleash something on the world until you know it's potential no, they like effect. they like found it within weeks and were like manufacturing yeah. within days it's like, <laughs> it's like, well, he was breathing it. it in he was like yeah, i'm not dead it's all fine yeah it's somewhat intoxicating exactly <laughs> but I'm not nice little buzz i mean i no poetry is being <laughs> recited but it's okay. so that, that actually saved a lot of people <laughs> exactly it's not from bad, bad poetry yeah. yeah well okay but there's a positive side to this because you know we humans 
we need to rise to a challenge. So he created a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Way to spin it. Yeah. And, and that led to then this thing called the Montreal Protocol in 1987, which is considered the most successful international environmental agreement of all time. Yeah. It's amazingly fast. So Yeah, think how fast your right guard cans were just taken yeah. away from you. Oh. The people are knocking on the front door of the house, like coming into the bathroom, just t- pulling things out of your I mean, I, I was a high school student when this was going on, and it was like yeah. suddenly that the, the right guard can is evil. Yes. Well, can we talk about that? For, like a metal can that <laughs> sprays this stuff out and has an ozone-killing substance in it? Yeah. To make your armpits smell almost as bad as they did before. <laughs> yeah. like, we lost our cans between <laughs> from 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 May 1985 to this protocol in 19. It was two years from like oh shit we're losing ozone yeah. to suddenly like we're done. And that is pretty incredible, yeah. actually. Yeah. So that agreement happened so fast that the production and consumption of these ozone depleting substances, boom. Well, of course, it is remarkable to see, and a lot of people talk about the Montreal Protocol as this like exemplar, you know, know, the thing that we aspire to, to try to get agreements. It's like the model, right? For that. Yes. But let's be honest. I mean, part of the reason why that was is because it was pretty easy to substitute these CFCs, right? With, with other things. It didn't require the dramatic transformation of the entire global economy. And then deodorant works in a stick form as well. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, so what big deal? And even if, God forbid, we had to give up sticks, we smell a little bit. We just I mean? smell a little bit. But you're saying they had a substitute chemical ready to plug into yeah. air conditioning and, and refrigerators. Which so. I would posit was a big reason why they were able to move so quickly on this. Because industry didn't have to like resist because they could still start selling us. Yeah, they're like, still selling their fucking right guards they're just putting (laughs) different stuff in it but what i mean what's crazy though is uh, it took a long time to actually enforce even Uh, though the agreement came into play right i mean that's true there was a smuggling problem wasn't there yeah i mean yeah and and i think (laughs) all the huffing addicts that that was a big part (laughs) well you think about like you're you're living in a really hot place and you can buy a smuggled can of freon real cheap and basically plug it into your ac and now you're comfortable who's not going to do that and there's still there's still cases of seeing that there's there's still cfc's in use right? right and and it's hard to pinpoint where that's happening I, I think from an economic standpoint incredibly cheap form of coolant so yeah yeah it, it's actually it reminds me of what's happening with climate change i mean you have this conflict that's playing out where you can solve something around your personal comfort mm-hmm. you know you could burn as much fuel as you want in the case of climate and the effects are really far away. You yeah, know, you can smell like gold spice if you want. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. Well, it, it just seems like it's a it's analogous, right? Like, yeah. of course, you're going to short circuit the virtuous behavior because it's cheap and easy to do so. But I will point out, I mean, we have substituted a very significant amount, right? We've made progress on this. And that's where it's a little different because we were able to substitute most uses of CFCs. And that's where maybe it's not quite so analogous because it's a completely different animal to transform where our electricity production comes from, how we're moving ourselves. Well, the the whole idea of unleashing Freon and then then the ozone layer is at stake. I mean, that's that's really only putting one foot into crazy town. Yeah. We got to get the other foot. All right, let's go all the way. Let's make the leap. Yeah, so I want to run some numbers by you guys. And uh, these come to us from our friend Stan Cox, 
who has made his way through some of his research into this podcast before. He wrote a book about 10 years ago or so called Losing Our Cool, Uncomfortable Truths About Our Air-Conditioned World. Can I just stop for a second and give Stan like a ton of credit here? A little the, shout out, yeah. The dude has written a lot of really interesting books. I mean, we've talked about his book on rationing before. Yeah. Anyway, you slice it. I mean, <laughs> it, pretty diverse kind of range of things, all in some ways connected to the stuff. And he knows all about Christmas agriculture time. and yeah, stuff, too. Exactly. Yeah. So shout yeah. out to you, Stan. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Stan the man. So here, here's a, a couple of his stats that I've got here in front of me. In the U.S. in 2010, we used as much electricity for air conditioning as we used for all purposes in 1955. <laughs> Holy <laughs> so, shit. So, you know, think, just think about that, you know, like basically 50 years later, AC is the equivalent of everything you had. Talk about the great acceleration. Yeah, right? yeah. Here, here's another one from... The year 1993 to 2005, electricity for air conditioning in the U.S. doubled. Yeah. I mean, that, that is a very short time span. And one reason is air conditioning is becoming more prevalent over that time. But yeah. also, think about what happened in housing. Like, all these McMansions get built. So you have now a 3,000-square-foot house that you're, you're keeping cool all summer. Yeah, and I think the International Energy Agency has calculated that that air conditioning, electric fans, count for about ten percent of global energy use. And electricity use. Sorry, electricity use. Yeah, um, I, thanks for clarifying. What's crazy to think about that is we talked about how many homes in the United States have air conditioning, right? Yeah, it's ninety percent or so, but we disproportionately have a lot more AC use than than the rest of the world. So, well, wait, 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 wait. So you're telling me the United States on average is consuming more than some other countries? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, talk, talk about bucking the trend and setting a new path. <laughs> it's just an AC. The rest is fine. <laughs> right. um, no, but my point is 10% of electricity use is going to AC yeah. and, and electric fans when a lot of the world hasn't even begun to right. adopt this technology. Yikes. All right, give me give me the bad news on climate that I know is coming. Well, think about US greenhouse gas emissions. Just just from from AC, it's about 500 million tons of CO2 equivalent per year. And just to put that in context, that's more than the construction industry. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So so again, you know, this is the the this is this maddening positive or or you might want to say amplifying feedback loop that is driving us into crazy town you've got electricity for running more acs is more greenhouse gas emissions more warming of the climate and then more desire to install and use ac yeah and there's this i remember stan stan cox's book has this picture right of these like uh, window mounted acs in this uh, dense urban area and of course, they're cool in the inside space, but they're pumping, they're pumping into this narrow alley, right. and so they're heating the outside yeah, space. And can. of course, the way ACs work is they they have to suck in air, so it's just they have to work harder and harder just to stay in place and keep that cool. Yeah. Plus, so, the the upside though, you can bake cookies in that alleyway. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. So you don't you're saving electricity use or energy use on your oven, and then you but then you walk outside and. It's way hotter than it would have been if nobody had turned on their AC in the first place. So yeah. it's it's not just the global amplification, it's the local amplification that happens. But I think talking about the global 
you could see how this is this is such an amplifying feedback loop. As the planet gets warmer and temperatures get more extreme, places in the world that have never had to use AC are now clamoring. Yeah, let's just right now throw down the uh, notion that everything that we talk about with air conditioning is poised to get worse with what's happening with climate change. But just just put a nice little negative pall over this discussion. Yeah, and, and it, if, if we're going to go full on morbid, let's just point out too that these heat waves, you know, yeah. that, that that are exacerbated by climate change, they cause more deaths than many other natural disasters combined. You know, you combined lightning, tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, and earthquakes in the U.S. and and there are more deaths just just from heat waves and all of those combined. Yeah. yeah, and and think about you know here we've got huge penetration of air conditioning. You look at other parts of the world, and I think a lot of our listeners will probably be familiar with how there was a, a heat wave in 2003 in Europe. And I was I almost tend to think of those days as like the, the Kuwait days of yeah. early climate change, <laughs> yeah. which yeah. is kind of crazy. But, you know, 70,000 people in Europe died, you uh. know, from a heat wave that summer. No air conditioning probably or hardly any right. to be seen because they never had to deal with it before. Yeah. Right? Well, you know, now there's a weird thing happening, like like in Europe or farther north in the U.S. where mild climates actually can have worse health problems than, right. than the hotter climates because you, you do have air conditioning penetration into the hotter climates. So if, if it's hot, people just go indoors and cool themselves. But these places where there is no AC, they're just essentially cooking in their apartments. Yeah, and we've, we've seen that here in the Pacific Northwest, right? I mean, we've had some crazy heat incidences in the last couple of years. And look at a place like Seattle I think Seattle is the least air-conditioned city in the U.S. with about 34% of homes having AC. And you compare that to a place like New Orleans, which is 99%. Yeah, you, know. yeah, you bring up the Northwest. I mean, was Heat Dome uh, something you had ever heard of? I certainly had yeah. not till we had mm-hmm. one uh, uh, over top our heads here, where we were getting close to 120-degree heat and then having it be prolonged. Yeah. And our our house didn't have air conditioning, and it was we were close to having a house that was triple digits hot. Wow! And the problem is you can't you can't cool off at night is the big problem, right? You just never cool off. Your body never gets to relax. Yeah, and and of course you know we're uh, in better shape than some people who are living out on the street, and and there yeah a lot of people suffered and and died in the Pacific Northwest during the heat dome. So it's which I just have to pause and say you know thinking about the relationship between air conditioning, let's say, and global and local inequality issues is really profound. As we were just talking about, there's there's enormous penetration of air conditioning here in the United States is not true for all of the world. There are places in the world that have really high temperatures, that they also have high humidity, and they don't have a lot of penetration air conditioning, and their temperatures are getting more and more extreme because of, of climate changes, which are being exacerbated by the use of air conditioning and other things. And and so we're like in this kind of ridiculous pickle. If you look at a country like India, yeah. you know, for example, where people look at, you know, they try to forecast the the penetration of air conditioning in in the world, you know, right. over the next coming decades. India is like an enormous potential market. 
Right. Right, because you've got rising incomes and rising population. Yeah. <laughs> An enormous population of, of a billion people. Yeah, over right? a billion people. A projection of you know economic growth, creating more income for people to be able to afford getting air conditioning. A very warm climate to begin with, right? And then you're going to have climate change on top of that, exacerbating the situation. Yeah. And here we are saying, well, actually, this this thing is is contributing to it, yeah. you know? But what do you do with a situation like yeah. that? It's really hard to say to somebody, hey, the planet's yeah. getting warmer. It's like to getting to a point where you might in your community have had, you know, practices that have been in place for a very long time of people being able to withstand certain types of heat, you know, or humidity. But now we've taken the situation to a level that is yeah, basically beyond. those things don't operate anymore. They don't work. So what, we're going to tell those people, you can't have air conditioning? You know, we got ours. You can't have yours? Not, not you know? that we have any control anyway, right? I no, mean, it's true. But we, We've got companies that are, of course, willing to sell air conditioners all over. But I think part of what we're saying here is this is not a solution. Yeah. You know? I mean, going out and, and let's let's install air conditioning everywhere. And I, I would, you know, yeah, we're, we're wealthy here in the U.S., relatively speaking, and we've got huge uptake of air conditioning, so... You think that our population is "quote unquote" safe from the worst effects of climate heating? You you see this government reports, you know, claiming like we're we're going to be able, we're going to be okay. Our population won't die off because we'll we'll just we'll just put more air conditioning units in. Right. And but in the, in the end, in the long run, I look at what this means for society and just the infrastructure requirements, the added uh, you know uh, demand on the electric grid. The fact that the roads start buckling, yeah. <laughs> you know, hydroelectric starts to become hard to do and power plants because you've got water problems and overheating of those. And it's like you just think, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily count on just because you've got money and you've got a unit installed that you're going to be able to run it when it really counts. Yeah, the the heat dome in Portland, they actually set up some centers uh, that were air conditioned. They said, okay, people, jump on the max, which is our uh, above ground subway line, and get to this cooling center. But the max actually had to shut down because the, the temperatures were so high the thing wasn't engineered to operate right. when it's 120 degrees well, outside. Just jog. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's actually really weird to think about that because this is like a, a return to what we're describing as almost the early days of air conditioning, where air conditioning was in yeah. these at the Center. movie theater, at the you know shopping mall or whatever. People didn't have it in their homes, and we might be going back to a situation where it's like. Yeah okay, we've got this incredible heat wave that's happening in this community and everyone, maybe because of what you're talking about, Jason, is we can't meet the demand, right. you know, the electricity brownouts demand for all that stuff, yeah. right? So we're going to have it in these certain places everyone needs to go to. Of course, my morbid mind goes to this really traumatic and dramatic uh, story that, that Kim Stanley Robinson opens his yeah. book with, Ministry, which I won't share, yeah, Ministry, Ministry for, for the Future, future. Um, which is... Yeah. The wet bulb temperature. Problem. Yeah, it's just... Um... Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I like to think about uh, going back to the history a little bit and this uh, this uptake of air conditioning and the effects. You mentioned earlier, share that this was one of the most influential things on the American city, uh, that researcher who yeah. put it in the top 10. Well, uh, I did a little bit of digging on this, and I, I want you to guess. You guys, uh, back to my game show. Uh, okay. Guess which three states in the U.S. 
had the fastest growing population over okay, the last okay, well, century. Is it percentage or is it total? I don't know. Okay. Just uh, I'm going to I'm going to go both. with I'm going to go with Florida, Texas, and Arizona. You, okay, that's that's a good. Uh, there I was guess. another one I was curious about. But I, I probably should have swapped out. Oh gosh, darn it! Well, you still can. A share's still thinking over here. Yeah, I mean, this is crazy town, right? So yeah. it's going to be the the opposite of what would be rational. So I'm going to go also with Arizona, Texas. Maybe California and sell, mix okay. it up. What are, what are you, Jason? You well, I, well the, I already gave three, but California was my other answer. But I didn't. Uh, I don't well, know like, what to swap out with. It doesn't matter. You guys have the. Uh, uh, we got two of three. You, yeah, right? together you got two of three. Florida and Arizona are in there, and Nevada. Oh, oh right. Nevada. Vegas, baby. Think, oh. think about Nevada. It used to probably be basically unpopular. So this is right? about percentage and not total. Okay, right. that's why yeah, my yeah. clarifying question was important. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Let's yeah. let's everyone move to places that are going to have an expiration date on them. You know, Florida <laughs> partly because of sea level rise, but yeah. you know, Arizona and Nevada. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, think about the way, you know, if you've experienced these places, you're not living indoors no. in Arizona and the kinds of houses that are Why there. Why even fucking go there? I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry to all our Arizona. Grand they Canyon is awesome. They have Ooh. great golf courses. And- God. Well, so, I, spring you know, training. I actually have a, a little uh, story to share. When I was uh, probably early high school, we went to visit my aunt and her family. They live in Sebring, Florida, which is south of Orlando. And my cousin... Did she see Mar-a-Lago from her house? Probably, okay. yeah. yeah. My, my cousin uh, was actually a really good tennis player. You're going to oh. be excited, Jason. Oh, please. I like she, it. She was, when she was coming up, she was actually number two ranked in Florida behind Chris Everett. Wow. Yeah, she was really good. Interesting. And this is much later in life. She's hitting with me huh. on a tennis court on a June Florida, Sebring, Florida huh. day. And I'm dying. I'm literally like, I feel like I'm baking. And I was in pretty good shape. I thought I was a good tennis player. I lasted probably about 20 minutes. Yeah. And then had to uh, had to jump back into the AC. And I've thought about this. I didn't have AC on the tennis court. Yeah, they they should have. Someday. We can always dream. But I, I go back to that and I think, oh, my aunt is one of these migrants to the Sun Belt. You know, mm-hmm. her family, they came from Ohio. Uh, and even my parents did that. They moved to Georgia from uh, from more northern spots. And, and this is what we've had. We've had, with AC, making indoors bearable in these places, we've had this mass migration from north to south. I actually remember on that trip, my aunt, I was talking to her and she said, you know what? I go from my air-conditioned house to my air-conditioned car to the air-conditioned office right. back to the air. Co- it was yeah. all just a, a train of air-conditioned spaces. And I, I remember thinking, even as a kid, going, why do you live here again? <laughs> like, what, what is happening? Yeah. So let me tell you guys about the, the Sun Belt getting okay. filled up. Okay, this is going to be terrible. Yeah, this is some numbers. Just in the span of 10 years at one point, in its history, Tucson went from having 45,000 people to 210,000. What? 10 years time. 10 years? Wow. Yeah. Here's another good one. In 1900, Phoenix, Arizona, it had 5,544 people. <laughs> Today, it has 1.7 million, or if you want to count the whole metro area, yeah. 4.6 million yeah. people. Wow. So in, in the, the July temperature average... High average is 106 Fahrenheit, 41 Celsius. Ouchie poo. The low 
is 82. You see, that's, that's a problem. You can't, yeah. you can't sleep. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't cool you off. You need enough. the AC, and that's yeah. a dry. I mean, that's a yeah. dry heat, right? So, yeah, I mean, you know, there would be a way to get cool at eighty two uh, again with uh, yeah. with the wet blanket. So you yeah. just got to hang out with a chair. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just talk in your ear, and I'll cool you off. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know, essentially, we. It's striking to me. The, this invention has allowed us to spread all over these hot ecosystems. And it's true outside the U.S. Sure. too. Think of our our poster child for Crazy Town, which is Dubai. Yeah. yeah, you know it. It actually, I looked up its temperature. It's almost exact mirror of Phoenix. Same wow. high and low in in summertime. And they might have more humidity. Yeah, but yeah, you, I guess being on the, on the on the ocean. Yeah. You know, humans have been able to go to these extreme climates and figure out a way to survive and live there. Yeah. I mean, people were in in the deserts in, in Dubai or, or near there for millennia. It's just the difference here is we're talking about the amount of people and how they're living, yeah. right? So there were people in, in, in the southwest living in these dry climates. Just, yeah, just, there were 5,000 of exactly. them in Phoenix in 1900. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, exactly. all, the, all, the, all the cave space got filled up. Yeah. You know, what's really great to think about is all the resources that have gone into moving people from the north to the south, and they're just going to have to be reversed, right? <laughs> We're going to have a reverse migration. Everyone's going to be moving to Duluth and wherever, you know, in the Great Lakes areas. Yeah. Yep, you know. settling in Alaska, and yeah. moving to Canada. It's such a great use of resources. But there's a lot of political ramifications, of course, because these these sort of fairly well-off retirees who are older— and therefore tend to be a little more conservative and set in their ways, go to these places, and then become these huge voting blocks. They kind of then lock in the policies of development. Uh, <laughs> so you, you got another feedback loop yeah. going here. Yeah, right. <laughs> Damn like, it. Right. They like it like this. Right. And they expect it to be that way. I mean, and that's the other thing I think it's worth talking about, which is that we have locked in an expectation of air conditioning into, yeah. into our infrastructure everywhere, right? Yeah. I mean... I don't know. I haven't been in the in the business of shopping for a new home recently, but you know the expectation I'm sure is that air conditioning is is there. And, and you look at commercial buildings; well, they of course have to have air conditioning because they're fucking glass they're buildings. You know, yeah, a lot are, of these big skyscrapers, it's like, like, like a, greenhouses. Yeah, it's a greenhouse sky. stacked on its end, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. It would be 175 degrees in there. Yeah, there's no windows that open. <laughs> no, exactly, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Well, you guys know in our first season we we had an energy literacy episode, and uh, we each had this homework assignment okay. to to pick an inexplicably stupid use of energy. Okay? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember uh, this. So remind us of yours, Asher. Oh, didn't I pick the? Was it a new thing that you could like order online your stuff from from Walmart or whatever, and you could just drive up and uh, you could drive actually. No, it wasn't Walmart. It was actually driving into a grocery yeah, store. Yeah, you had some kind of store yeah. that you would drive your car inside. You of. could go right inside of your car. Nice. Yeah, so you don't have to get yeah. out of the car. It's like a safari, but for groceries. Now, ah. see, I think mine was the best. I I brought up Ski Dubai, which is like this. Big glass that pyramid really, yeah. with a snow hill in it inside the desert. In I, Dubai. I admit yeah. yours is the best. Mine was pretty good. It was the uh, you know the storage, the, all the all the all the mini storage stuff where people put their yeah the for all your extra consumable crap. Yeah, well they have climate controlled storage, so you're paying this extra money to keep the stuff you never see yeah. at right. the right temperature. Right, the stuff that's not important enough for you to actually so, have in your home. Yeah, 
So I I really like that little exercise we did. But I think Stan Cox, again, has beaten us a little bit in his air conditioning book. He's got some outlandish examples of of the use of air conditioning. Uh, We go back to Florida here. He talks about uh, residents of Naples, Florida, who spend the summers in their summer homes up north, uh, you know, maybe New York or whatever. They often keep the air conditioning running all summer long in their vacant uh, winter home. To protect their possessions from the humidity. It would probably all, you, you come back and then your house is moldy or something like that, right? Yeah. Are yeah. you kidding? Well, ah. okay, Asher, you, you, here, here's the next one that's yeah. the list. Yeah, so it's one thing, you know, you want to keep your, your stuff in your house nice and cool when you're not there. Some people do this for their cars, right? So, <laughs> um, so there, there are these like high end car condos, you know, where people can spend sixty thousand dollars to four hundred thousand dollars to put their cars in climate controlled rooms to protect them from the, oh, the from the thing. natural yeah. environment. Yeah, that's right. that's that's like your uh, climate controlled storage on steroids. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Or keeping your your house conditioned while you're not there. Yeah. Well, okay, the, taking it up a notch in ridiculousness uh, that Stan talks about in 2008, the world's first air-conditioned beach. <laughs> Uh, At the new Palazzo Versace Hotel in, of course, Dubai, yeah. opened up. <laughs> An air-conditioned beach. Yeah. No, don't don't get in the water. Just stay on the beach. You wouldn't have to. You wouldn't have to make that long, arduous trek to the water. I bet you it is so hot even on the beach there, and the water is so. This is the Gulf. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I yeah, I understand. But you want to get your tan. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, what else are you gonna do? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, I have so many questions. <laughs> like, how how wide of an area does this? Is it like you know thousands of people huddled, huddled in one spot, or yeah. you basically shut them in a refrigerator, or what? Now, Singapore is a city state in the middle of uh, the right on the equator. Practically, yeah. you've been there, right? Yeah, it's it's quite a place. Um, and they they're trying to be kind of greenish with these sort of they have a lot of trees and stuff in the city, so yeah. they're trying to be. Yeah. But they're also. It's a big city. They got a lot of banks too, skyscraper yeah, skyscrapers. banks. <laughs> so, in order to keep cool there, you can go to a popular bar called the Esky Bar that is kept in the narrow range of 30 to 31 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> so, that's just below zero. Yeah. You got to get your winter coat and all that. Get get your gloves and yeah. uh, gear up to go in there. Yeah. yeah cool. I uh can we just take a moment of lamentation here? Where I think that list might be the list that most portends human extinction of anything we've ever talked about. This is a pretty tough episode for me to get through. Because it's just so crazy. Yeah. And all this stuff where people just go from one conditioned space to another means... And they're in a lot of urban and suburban environments, too, which then, of course, require super conditioning, because we talked about the fact that, you know, heat island effect, and if, if, if your neighbor's conditioning, they make it hot outside, and so when you go outside, you're uncomfortable, and the envelope around your home is even hotter, so you got it's this crazy feedback loop, and of course, there's no sense of what the real environment is outside. Well, the, the, yeah, I mean, the, the environment outside is... It's all messed it's, up. It's not your friend. No, it's right? all messed up, but you don't even know what it could have been. All you want to do is keep been. it at bay. Yeah. Know? And so you're just like people living in these phony, human-created... And they're so... <sighs> it's 
there's no, no culture. There's no. Yeah. There's no difference. There's no novelty. I mean, yeah. we talked about it when we're talking about sort of the highway system and and how that sort of fed also this kind of like cookie cutter. Yeah thing where the environment becomes so homogenized yeah. you know and air conditioning is kind of a, a part of that yeah too, that i think you're right they worked hand in hand to to do that and and you just use brute force electricity and engineering to to overcome nature and just pretend like you're not part of it i think there's also something we do we we did to ourselves which is we used to have humans are remarkably adaptable. Yeah. But now we've set ourselves up to have this just minute capacity to to tolerate just really narrow temperature range. Yeah. I know I share we were talking and you said you like to keep your house between 68.4 and 68.7 degrees. Yeah. yeah. I mean if it gets to 68.8 Right. Thank God I've got an app that's constantly oh. checking and calibrating. They, they test it, I think, every 20, 25 nanoseconds. Right, right. It just, you know, tries to dial it in for yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a big thing is acclimation is what it's called biologically, is where you, over time, your physiology adjusts to environmental conditions. Right. So basically, none of us can handle being outside in no. 85 yeah, Now degree. it's just adiabatic adaptation I re- I re- I and acclimation. <laughs> I remember being in St. Louis, Missouri, and I, you know, I would I would be in these controlled environments, and then you'd walk out and you just get hit by the heat, and you're just suffering. And then you get to your car, and of course, your car is just this oven. So you turn it on, and you're like cranking the air, you're like, "Come on, come on!" And you're just 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 pores are just visible to the naked eye; they're just gaping, and just your sweat is spurting out of you. To, and then finally it's like, oh. Well, uh, and then you get into the next condition of space and now you're covered in sweat. Right. But then you start cooling and you're, cool. you're shivering. You're yeah. just shivering. The good thing is now you could set your AC, you could turn your AC on in your car before you get there. Oh yeah, I, I, this you was know? back in the so 90s. So you, uh, you don't have to deal technology. with it. It is interesting to think about this though because I think we, you're right about this becoming acclimated in a sense. Like, So as a, as a young kid, you know, growing up in Israel, I was used to like, we had 120 degree days and no air conditioning at all. Totally survived through that. California, I lived in California for many, many years, you know, and then I moved up here to Oregon. When I go back to California now, I can't handle it. <laughs> I really can't. Like yeah. I'm, I'm like completely adjusted. So yeah, if, and I, I don't have air conditioning. So right. if somebody is like spending their life in air conditioning, going from air conditioning to heat and they're keeping the temperature the same all year round, like, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, all right. Let's, let, let's get past this. Let's talk about what we can do. How, how, how can we handle this? Okay, listeners, you have heard a lot from us, and if we haven't scared you away yet, you've got a chance to get a little more interactive with us. We're going to be staging one of our favorite events of the year, the Crazy Town Hall. This is like staging like the moon landing? Kind of. Okay, (laughs) great. Well, the Crazy Town Hall is an interactive event that will take place on July 12th, 2022 at 10 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time. And you get to be in an online conference with the three of us. And you can ask us questions. We're going to play fun games. We're going to get some insider dirt on the podcast. And, and maybe we'll laugh. Twister, right? We're going to do Twister? Okay. Is that the <laughs> That'd game? That would be great. Okay. 
Yeah, so the Crazy Town Hall, it's for uh, for real crazy townies, right? People who want to support the podcast. So if you'd like an invitation to the town hall, we're asking that you make a recurring monthly donation. It could be of any amount to the Post Carbon Institute. If you're already a donor, we thank you so much for your support. You're going to automatically get an invite. And keep in mind, your donations help us with things like buying enough duct tape to repair our microphones. That's uh, important. It is. But hell, if we get enough donations, maybe we can hire some decent hosts. Oh my gosh. I would <laughs> love that. That'd you would awesome. love it. Our listeners would love it. I am. Seriously, please join us at the Crazy Town Hall on July 12th, 2022. To sign up, go to postcarbon.org slash crazy town. That's postcarbon.org slash crazy town. Hope to see you there. decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. <laughs> my life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. <laughs> All right. Well, we just kind of were railing on the fact that we we keep in these narrow temperature ranges and one of the do the opposites could be just allowing your environment to fluctuate more and not necessarily always trying to set it and forget it. Let the temperature get warm. Let the temperature get cold. And and you can you can also then when you need to adjust and help out, it's more like becomes a personal clothing choices, right? Like the Jimmy Carter sweater. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or or when it's hot out, right? Um I don't know, just waste wet towels. <laughs> I remember I had a water bottle when I was a kid and it I could mist I could mist myself. So I would carry it around. I'd just sort of like spray it and walk through it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, these things work. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great. But I think we should – look, I think we need to challenge our listeners. We, t- we talked about like how we gotten sort of unable to withstand extreme yeah. temperature or whatever. So I think you should wear the Jimmy Carter sweater in the summer yes. in the hottest time <laughs> of the go. year. There so, you go. So one time, <laughs> me and my friend John, uh, they were t- like 20 years old. And we wanted to, we we're going over to another uh, friend's house to go swimming. This this guy had access to a pool. And we thought summertime, it'd be awesome. Let's just, let's go over and turn the heat on in the car. So it's already 100 degrees outside. <laughs> and we blast the heat all the way over. And we're just sweating, kind of like your yeah. previous description of sweating, Jason. And, and we get out and get into this pool immediately right. and it's so refreshing the contrast yeah and and that's there's actually something to that because part of the pleasure in in like experiencing temperatures is the change right so the relief yeah like you contrast. get this you just think of like how good does a cool breeze feel oh. in the summer Summer or breeze. Like warming your hands. <laughs> <laughs> or, or warming your hands by a campfire in the cold. So yeah. like just sort of uh, letting yourself experience that and actually appreciating it. You know, yeah. doesn't we're not saying uh, you know, let your house range from zero to, to two hundred and twelve, you know, from freezing to boiling, but you know, just maybe a, a range. God, there's also being smarter when you are using climate control. To just being smarter about it. Yeah. I mean, managing, like when you open doors and windows to let air flow through, when you put up awnings or shades. So there's a lot that can be done if you are conscientious about it, as opposed to just flipping on a switch, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's also the idea that's 
coming on maybe more now is is heating and cooling the body instead of these huge spaces. So there's uh, another so pod- yeah, like his full body ice <laughs> yeah. ice suits. Well, I'm sure you can invest in that, or at least an NFT version of that. Oh, but okay. uh, no, this was on a uh, 99% Invisible podcast episode. Uh, they were talking to this woman who has a climate controlled chair in her office, so it would both heat and cool. Which seems like sort of a goofy tech gadget, but compared to heating and cooling the whole office, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You yeah, know, you're using a lot less energy. Yeah, it's kind of like that. the difference between moving your body and moving your car, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, those are those are good personal sort of do the opposites, but I want to go up a level in scale and start talking about what we do with the the architecture and the landscaping around us and. When I was thinking about this, it took me back to when I used to live in New Mexico. And one of the things that I really loved there was the the housing stock still had a lot of places that were made out of adobe mm-hmm. and stucco. Right. And they were like these big, bulky exterior yeah. thing. Thermal uh, mass. Construction. Yeah, exactly. Thermal mass. They'd have small windows and they would soak up the heat during the day, but then release it at night when it was when it was cool. And so you had this just right design for the right place. And they they call that vernacular architecture. It's basically when people inhabit a place long enough, they get smart about how to build it out in a way that works with the climate and with the ecosystem. Which is the opposite of what we've done for all these neighborhoods where you just have cookie cutter designs. And you know, I grew up in a neighborhood with a particular home style with big glass windows. And my art, my home happened had the glass on the south side, which was good. As you do. As you should. Yeah. But my, my friend lived on the opposite side of the block. So his windows were on the north side. <laughs> and it was like, there's just, they paid no attention, apparently. And so we have to pay attention, right? Yeah. Uh, to the place. They probably just rotated the houses. Like, yeah. right? I mean, it's the same sort of like. Same design. Same design. They just turned a little bit. So they're like, hey, let's get a little bit of diversity, you know, in in the design of this little community. But no, we got to we gotta build cookie cut, cutter yeah. houses. So all we're going to do is just going to rotate it like 45 degrees or whatever it is. Or well, the backyard had the big windows. That's the way it was set up. Uh-huh. Every backyard was supposed to face your backyard and privacy on the front. Got it. And so their backyard, though, was on the north side of the lot. Right. <laughs> so it made no sense. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it's, you know, in some ways you think of it like uh, we, we should go back to just paying a little more attention, like you say. Put, put the energy up front rather yeah. than... That brute force engineering. Well, style. and we've had this knowledge. I mean, you look at, you were talking about it in, in New Mexico, Rob, but like, look, humans have been quite ingenious in learning how to live in in places with extreme temperatures. And the way they've done that before we could just consume a bunch of fossil energy to keep us cool or warm was figuring out how to live creatively with the spaces that they're in. So I think finding a cave is what we need to do that, now. Sure. Yeah, but if you have the option, just like find a cave. Yeah, I'm sure, or, or a mine shaft. I'm sure there are enough caves for 7.8 you know, billion of us. No problem. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of that, actually, I, I do think that, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, how air conditioning allowed people to move, like here in the United States, move from the north to the south to, to areas that were much warmer. I think we are going to be seeing, because of climate changes, 
a shift in the opposite direction, probably, right. right? And and we have to have a real frank conversation, at least with ourselves, about where are the right places to be, you yeah. know? Um, Is it Naples, Florida, really the place? <laughs> Only if you're in the climate-controlled car condo. <laughs> right. And no, it reminds me of the flood maps that the Federal Emergency Management Agency puts out and how that's totally changed housing in the United States. When you go to buy a house, right. it has to be certified as not being in the floodplain. Right. And, and I don't know. It's almost like we're going to need to have that. It needs to be certified not being in the heat zone. Well, look, we have that for fires, right? I mean, I think that you're starting to see, especially like with yeah. insurance stuff, pe- people seeing those risks. I don't know if anyone's internalized risks of like temperatures and heat and probably because they're all assuming, well, I'll just have air conditioning. They are. I actually went to a climate change conference in California and the the team at UC Berkeley, the economist team there was trying to project, you know, for the state, the governor and how we were going to uh, mitigate and adapt, et cetera, et cetera. And essentially all the housing stock in California was going to get built out in the Central Valley because they've already built out along the coast and, and in the more temperate areas. And that was so going to where get... where much of the country's food is grown. Correct. Okay. Yes, and so, where it's where it's really hot. Where it was going to get hotter there than any other part of the state. <laughs> right. But that's where they're going to go because that's where land is cheap and abundant, and that's where like the additional fifty million people who are going to be in the state by the end of the century are going to have to live. And in order for them to survive, air conditioning had to be put in well, at a massive scale. It's right. a good thing they didn't project another 20 years out, because then it would just be in the Mojave Desert. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. pretty soon in Death Valley. Yeah, you know, yeah. A- well, we'll just fuse with Vegas is what's going to happen, basically. <laughs> yeah, so uh, don't be like an economist, basically. Is that the doing the opposite? Yeah. Yes, don't. That's our best do the opposite ever. Don't be an economist. <laughs> They're just so bad. They're so bad. Oh, my God. Thanks for listening. We just gave you a whole bunch of do the opposite ideas so you can take action in your life and community. If that's too much at this time in your life, do something real simple. Give us a five-star rating on Spotify or any other podcast app and hit the share button to let your friends know about Crazy Town. Hey guys, um, really proud of today's sponsor, which really does tie in well to our theme of do the opposite uh, mm. in this air conditioning episode. In a sense, I mean, you're going to think this is ironic, of course, but this is about this is about acclimation. This is about adaptation to to the extremes and, and and getting your body in shape for what may be coming, whether it's extreme cold, extreme heat. It's just called. Frozen yoga. Wait, <laughs> yoga? Like, not yogurt, frozen yoga? Frozen yoga. I've heard of hot yoga. What the hell is frozen yoga? Well, just think about it. It's a classic it's the do opposite. the opposite. <laughs> okay. It's really easy to stretch out your muscles when, muscles? It, when it's hot in the room, right? But... If you want to challenge, if you want to acclimate <laughs> to extreme conditions, I'm trying to stretch, do yeah. a downward dog when yeah. you're, your muscles your are just tight. It's actually done on an ice skating rink. You're lying uh, on the rink trying to stretch. Oh, there's, out. there's incredible balance issues. There's uh, 
Yeah, there's there's so there's paramedics are on hand to get yeah. you over to the hospital when your hamstring yeah. just I can't think rips of a better half. use of air conditioning than, than it's, this. It's it's like that Singapore bar sort of uh, we mentioned in the show. Oh wow, yeah. Uh, they could pour you drinks while you're doing. But the I, downward I get your dog. point. Yeah. Hey, if we're gonna have to get acclimated to extreme weather, yeah. right? We're not gonna have air conditioning or or heating to constantly you know rely on to keep a, a constant temperature. Get yourself acclimated to to these extremes. Yeah, and I the, there's one in town, a great frozen yoga place in Corvallis, <laughs> yeah. and the hot yoga place is right next door. So you just I'm go saying, back and forth. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying it's, it's like not when you jump into the pool and then you go in the hot tub Correct. and then back and forth. Correct. So I love uh, it. Yeah, great. Uh, frozen yoga guys, uh, the newest greatest health trend. Get on it. Crazy town. Da, 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 crazy town.